0: the life and legacy of Mr. Eternity. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. When the word eternity was electronically emblazoned across the bridge of our Olympic city after a spectacular display of more than 20 tons of fireworks, which were let off from 15 different points, at a cost of a cool $5.8 million, it was welcoming and ushering in not just a new year of AD 2000, but a new decade a new century, and indeed a new millennium. As the Sydney Sadders celebrated the biggest party in town and the best in the world, the show was not only witnessed by more than a million people who crammed around the harbour, but was also beamed around the world to more than two billion viewers. However, long before the giant word eternity, was mechanically sparkled on the harbour bridge of our Olympic city of Sydney. It was first written over 500,000 times manually and by a small hand of one solitary man on the pavements of its streets and the footpath of its suburbs and beyond. This one-word sermon appeared in perfect elegant copperplate style all over the place, from the cross to Campbelltown from woolamaloo to wollongong from newtown to newcastle and from marrickville to melbourne wherever this word appeared it mystified some and fascinated others the mystery was who wrote it when the mystery writer was finally discovered the sydney press nicknamed him misty eternity but his real name was arthur stace where did arthur stace come from How was he raised? What was so special about him? And why did God use him? Let's trace the life and pay tribute to the legacy of Mr. Eternity in the light of his personal and dynamic relationship with Christ, the Lord of Eternity. We'll take his surname, Stace, S-T-A-C-E, and tell his story of sin, salvation, surrender and sweet victory. Let's start with S. Sinful past his condition before Christ. Arthur Malcolm Stace entered this world in 1884 to a drunken dysfunctional and a desperate couple in the Balmain slums of Sydney. As a direct result of his parents addiction young Arthur and his two sisters and two brothers were brought up neglected and needy in a hopeless and shameful atmosphere of poverty. Judging by just the first quarter of his 83 earthly years and according to his very own words, he seemed destined for failure by all accounts and the very lowest of standards. As a very young child, a day in his wretched and miserable existence consisted of stealing loaves of bread and milk bottles in the morning, searching for scrap food out of garbage bins during the day, and sleeping on hashen bags under the house at night. His preteens troubles shot through the roof with schooling almost non existent. Young Arthur had become a state ward by the age of 12. By the time he entered the turbulent teenage years he was such a heavy drinker he often said I drank metho not milk. His first pay was spent and wasted in the pub and a year later by the tender age of 15 he was sent to jail. In his adolescence he became a cockatoo and worked as a lookout for police for those who ran two up schools and illegal gambling joints. Later in his 20s, he was employed as a scout for his sister's brothels in the seedy inner Surrey Hills. In his 30s, there seemed to be a temporary relief in his criminal activities when he enlisted and served as a stretch bearer between 1914 and 1918 in the First World War. However, as soon as he returned to Sydney and his hands and feet rejoined his heart, he resumed his wretched lifestyle of crime and returned to his usual old bad habits of gambling and drinking. few years later, Arthur described in his own words what he had become, a petty criminal, a bum and a method drinker. He deteriorated so bad and so low that he went from beer to wine, to plonk. Now, plonk is bad wine. But he didn't stop there. He went from beer, to wine, to plonk, to plink, which is bad plonk. Question. How on earth did Arthur stay survive all that and was also spared the inevitable early grave and the horrible eternal loss that awaited his father, mother, brothers and sisters before him? Answer. It was the power of God from heaven that saved, strengthened, and sustained his needy soul. T, turning point, that is his conversion to Christ. The new birth of turning from sin to trusting the Savior took place on the night of August 6, 1930. The conception commenced when the Holy Spirit of God used the seed and truth of the Word of God preached by Rev. R.D.S. Hammond, the servant of God, and the sweet testimony of the men of God present in the house of God at the St. Barnabas Church in Broadway on that magnificent and memorable evening. The conviction continued for Arthur Stace, who is, like his first parent Adam, created in the image of God. And as in Adam, his federal head, he is now dead in sin and separated from God. As he listened to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he realized that he was a sinner before God and recognized that the saving grace is the gift of God. The conversion concluded shortly after as he left the meeting in St. Barnabas, following a cup of tea and a rock cake, walked across the road to University Park, And under an old big Morton Bay fig tree, he repented of sin towards God, received Christ Jesus as his sin bearer, who is the only way to God, and became a child of God. At last, he has experienced peace with God, and now can exercise the peace of God. Arthur used to often testify, I went in to get a cup of tea and a rock cake, but I met the rock of ages. The reality of this great and gracious salvation brings with it automatically and always an exchange of heart and a change from death to life, from darkness to light, and from the dominion of Satan to the liberty in Christ, to all that call upon the saving name of the Lord in sincerity and truth. This significant and spiritual turnaround of a monumental proportion altered Stasis' present and sinful desires by 180 degrees and affected his future destiny for time and eternity. Now the old man of sin is dead and his last will was read. The new man in Christ is delivered from the power of darkness, dressed with the robe of God's righteousness and destined for real life and great liberty. The words of the following song perhaps may help us see into the thankful heart and sense the gratitude that this trophy of God's grace experienced. You cleansed me from sin, gave me peace within, sealed my destiny, secured eternity. All oh, the power of the Christ of Calvary. From the prison of shame, released with new name, my soul you set free with great liberty. All oh, the power of the Christ of Calvary. My Lord and my King, I owe you everything, the debt you forgave and your new life you gave, oh, the power of the Christ of Calvary. All self and pride were crucified, my new life you built without anger or guilt, oh, the power of the Christ of Calvary in God I am hid because of what you did man in sin is dead his last will was read my mind and attitude you also renewed in suffering and pain there is now joy and gain oh the power of Christ of Calvary on the cross of Calvary you were bound that I might go free how you cried father forgive then you died that I might live for three days the grave was your bed then you rose from the dead to all you declared your power might and glory a anointed message that is his conviction by Christ by the grace of God and to his glory Arthur Stace grew in his relationship with the living God as he daily read the scriptures relied on the strength of Christ in prayer and related his salvation experience to others in obedience to God, he had become not only proactive but productive member in a body of believers at the Burton Street Baptist Tabernacle Darlinghurst, which is located just a few kilometers down the road from the Harbour Bridge and the fireworks of the Millennium Celebration. On a Sunday night of November 14, 1942, There was a special series of meetings at that church where another fiery event of the cleansing and life-changing kind was in progress. The same eternal Spirit of God that earlier convicted the soul of Arthur Stace of the choices and consequences of sin and converted his spirit to Christ the Savior employed and empowered one of his choicest servants, the late John G. Ridley M.C., the sprints among preachers, delivered an anointed and an appointed message entitled The Echoes of Eternity, that caught the heart of one man, changed the lives of many, and challenged the mindset of a multitude. The gem of a text is found in the prophet Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15, For thus saith the High and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Evangelist John Gotch Ridley, M.C., was himself saved in 1915 from a dead religion of man to a dynamic relationship with the living God, in the very same church building under Reverend William Lamb's powerful premillennial preaching of the second coming of Christ. He was a purpose-driven communicator and a painter of word pictures, whose pen was mighty because of the sword of the Spirit, He sowed faithfulness to the message of salvation here on earth and reaped fruitfulness in the ministry and service for time and eternity. John G. Ridley, M.C. was not only a prolific and terrific writer, but also a persistent and tireless worker. He co-founded the prophetic and premillennial voice of the Herald of Hope and also established the teaching and training vehicle of the Australian Institute of Evangelism, which later became the ambassadors for Christ. This prayer warrior and soldier of the faith, who at one time nearly lost his own life in battle, undertook faithfully to herald and understood firsthand how important and imperative it is to prepare for eternity. The helpless sound, the hopeless sight, and the horrible smell of the sting of death surrounded him like a constant companion in the war as a soldier of World War I and in the work as a chaplain of World War II. John G. Ridley received a military cross for his acts of bravery and action in battle at Bellicourt 1918 for risking his own life by bringing ammunition and ration to the front line and also for rescuing the wounded ones. The veteran evangelist was not one to shy away from confronting his hearers with the truth of their eternal life and challenging their hearts to trust his everlasting Lord. On that night, he stood plain and unadorned in his black suit and a tie, but with the power of scripture in his hand and the passion for souls in his heart, and stressed the word ETERNITY according to his preaching mandate and in his usual passionate manner. He pointed out how the echoes of eternity are heard not only in creation and in the Christian but also in the cross. Then suddenly, laying his prepared notes aside and seemingly in an impromptu fashion, The highly disciplined soldier-like preacher raised his loud voice and cried, Eternity! Eternity! I wish that I could sound or shout that word for everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? C. Call to write. That is his consecration for Christ. Arthur Stace was one of many in the large congregation that god ordained night this faithful available and teachable servant has been obedient and active since his conversion from an old life in crime and sin to the new life in christ and service as he said listening to the eternal word of god preach faithfully and proclaim forthrightly from the heart and lips of australia's beloved evangelist He was yet again confronted with sin and its eternal punishing consequences. Oh, he was not worried about his own eternal safety because his sins are under the blood and forgiven since that blessed night where he knelt under a Morton Bay fig tree and called on the name of the Lord crying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. His burden and concern, however, was for the sake and the sins of others. So once more, his sensitive heart responded to God, this time, Here am I, Lord, send me. Eternity went ringing through my brain, was Stace's own statement, and suddenly I began crying and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. I had a piece of chalk in my pocket and outside the church I bent down right there and wrote it. The funny thing is that before I wrote it I could hardly write my own name. I had no schooling and I couldn't have spelled eternity for a hundred quid but it came out smoothly in a beautiful copperplate script. I couldn't understand it and I still can't. We commenced with the sinful past that is his condition before Christ. We closely looked at the turning point, that is his conversion to Christ. We continued with the anointed message, that is his conviction by Christ. We considered the call to write, that is his consecration for Christ. Let's now conclude with eternity, your choice to receive Christ. God has personally written to you to prepare you for eternity. This most important twofold message must be read and received by all from his creation in Adam to his children in Christ. The first part of God's message is aimed at his creation in Adam. Ye must be born again. Jesus said, "Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again." John chapter three, verse three and verse seven to be born again. One needs to understand and repent of sin and receive the Savior. What does it mean to repent of sin? The scriptural and spiritual exercise is really as simple as ABC. A. Acknowledge B. Be sorry C. Confess The psalmist said, in Psalm 32 verse 5 I acknowledged my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin be sorry Psalm 38 verse 18 says for I will declare my iniquity I will be sorry for my sin and see confess Psalm 32 verse 5 in the latter part of this verse said, I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Silla. Receive the Savior. The step of faith requires only three simple statements of belief. They are, I am sorry, please forgive me, and thank you for saving me. What the eternal almighty God did to in and through arthur's days he is willing to do for you but first you must answer the question of where will you spend eternity 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 the lifetime of the almighty you've got to meet eternity where will you spend eternity where will it be where will it be will heaven or hell be your destiny call on God's grace and mercy in the love of Christ on Calvary. My listening friend, your decision here and now on earth will determine your destiny there and then in eternity. If you refuse and reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you are choosing in fact to spend eternity in hell. But if you receive him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in heaven and rejoice evermore. The Bible clearly and consistently declares, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 verse 16. Also in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Apostle Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 10 verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me encourage you to bow your heart before your maker and creator right now and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior and become his child for time and eternity. It only requires three simple yet hard-believe expressions. This is a suggested prayer. Dear God, I am sorry that I have sinned against you and I turn away from my sins. Please forgive me, and be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you for saving me, and giving me a new life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Whilst the first part of God's message, ye must be born again, is aimed at His creation in Adam, the second part of His message is aimed at His children in Christ, and that is we must all appear second corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 apostle paul writes for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad this is one appointment that will not be neither forgotten nor postponed but will be kept and arrival will be on time as per God's schedule and diary. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Romans chapter 14 verse 12. You see, the issue here is not one of ability, but rather of availability and accountability. Nor is it a question of fantastic results, but of faithfulness. God is not asking you, for what you can or cannot do for him but what he can and will do for you in you and through you jesus said in john chapter 15 verse 5 i am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me ye can do nothing when we as god's children discover here on earth what the Heavenly Father has entrusted us with talents and time and then decide willingly and happily to give that back to Him in dedication and with devotion, then God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, takes what we have in our hands and uses it as we trust him, whether it is made by hand like David's sling and kill a giant, or material resources like Peter's boat and reach the lost, or a meal of a little boy and feed a multitude, or perhaps a mind like Apostle Paul and teach the church. The question is this. What is that in thine hand? Don't limit your thinking to its physical entity. Rather, consider the possibility that is in your power to do. In the case of Arthur Stace, God took his tool of one piece of chalk, his text of one word of eternity, and his territory of one pavement at a time in Sydney, and multiplied it abundantly. By the time he was called to exit this world into eternity on July thirtieth, 1967, this grey-haired man had left behind a legacy of an enormous value in the copperplate writing of one word eternity, which was witnessed first by many thousands in Sydney, Wollongong and Newcastle, then by millions all over the world on the eve of the new millennium celebration. Then, at the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympic Games, how far afield. So go ahead and give what is in your hand to God today, right now. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal.